arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Well, our time traveler is about to awaken in a C-54 transport plane over the Caribbean, still in 1961. A high-level CIA employee is accompanying him to a training base in Central America, where the agency and the exiles, in order to see who he is really working for, will attempt to unravel Patch's time travel story. This eventually means Dr. Braun, a ruthless, exotic drug experimenter of human beings for the CIA. Let's enter the interior of the C-54 as Patch's journey brings him to Central America in Part 6 of the Kennedy Paradox. Chapter 21, C-54 Transport over the Caribbean, March 24th, 1961, 3.15 a.m. As he emerged from a deep sleep, Patch questioned whether they had laced his hot chocolate drink with a sleep-inducing drug. Dozing now, he remembered laughing on the couch at a young Johnny Carson on The Ed Sullivan Show. His entire body now vibrated as he lay on a blanket. Supply boxes and weapons were packed inside a cold cargo bay. He figured he was in a C-54 transport and heading toward a training camp. His strength had been drained by the drug, but he sat up. To his left, a dark-haired man with brown-rimmed glasses and a tie loosened looked over his seat. He immediately spun onto his feet when he saw Patch. He squatted down and held Patch's shoulder. Are you all right, Patch? I missed the end of Ed Sullivan. He smiled and emitted a grunting laugh. I'm Bill Playden. Patch shook his hand. Patch Kincaid. Patch, I wanted to personally meet you. I'm not one to question stories, nor am I concerned with your loyalties such as Stephen Higgins. Whatever happened to Higgins? asked Patch, holding his temples. His head ached. That's an interesting question. Word is they debriefed him in Havana. He's still in Cuba. We're working with people to kill him. You don't waste any time, do you? Can you come up to the seats? asked Playden. Patch nodded, and Playden helped him to his feet. He held Patch's elbow and steered him out of the cargo bay. Patch slipped into the vinyl seat, and Playden quickly handed him a bottle of Coca-Cola. Patch let the carbonated sugary drink trickle down his throat. Thanks. You specifically knew Higgins would defect. You knew the area where he would defect, and you knew approximately where, and you knew approximately when he would defect. Yes, I did, said Patch, taking a gulp. The bubbles tickled his throat and he coughed. Packs a wallop, probably laced with truth serum. No, it's just plain old coke. Are you able to tell me exactly who gave you this information about Higgins? Because it doesn't matter now, with the doctor gone over to the other side. Patch turned from the window. Came from 1986. Ray Mankiewicz told me about Higgins defecting at the beginning of March 1961. Ray has told us that you mentioned an individual of Castro's 26th of July movement. Who was it? Patch studied Playden's slick-back auburn hair. No comment. You mentioned this future terrorist is going to kill members of organized crime. That's, uh, inside information. Can I verify this? I don't know, Mr. Playden. Patch finished the coke. You want another? I'm all set. 
Spence Turtling. You met him on the wrecks. He's made personal trips with these men. Organized crime? Yes, because they're cooperating with us to kill Fidel Castro. We've also had Dan Preslin speak on one specific member. Who's that? asked Patch. Playden smiled. Who's asking the questions, Patch? Dan spoke with Johnny Rosselli. He knows Johnny personally. Now that I've leveled with you, did Castro himself authorize these killings through this man? A man whose name has eluded me. Patch smiled. I'm sure his name will pop up. Suit yourself, we'll be landing soon. A member of the brigade, Felipe Delgado, will personally drive you to base camp. Please remember that base tracks, like everything else you have heard on the wrecks, and any other discussion you had with agency personnel, is classified. Break security and you'll be dealt with accordingly, is that clear? I figured as much. Looks like you're invading Cuba now. Playden shrugged his shoulders. I'd bet money on it. Playden smiled and fully loosened his tie. You do that, Captain. You do that. Base tracks. Finca Helvetia, Guatemala, March 24th, 1961, 10.35 a.m. The runway buzzed with air traffic along a series of aluminum roof sheds that comprised the tiny command center. A pointed deep blue mountain and a tapering range provided a secure backdrop for the camp. More mountains shielded the faraway runway. Playden handed sunglasses to Patch and the two men walked on the gritty soil along the mammoth olive-coated C-54. I flew one of these babies in Germany back in 1978. You mean West Germany, said Playden, giving him an expression that crossed between confused and amazed. And 1978 is 17 years from now, Patch. You can drop that time travel story down here. The bend along the yellowed grass, the jeep pulled to an abrupt stop. It's the truth. The Soviet Union fell. Playden looked over his glasses like a professor challenging a student. The Soviets fall? You can do better than that. He looked across the runway. I see the chauffeur has arrived. Patch studied the huge plane. Maximum speed, 275 miles an hour. Cruise speed, 190. Range, 4,000 miles. I'm impressed with your C-54 knowledge, but not the Soviet story. I flew the damn plane. Okay, you flew the damn plane. Come on. Emotion patched over to a wide-faced, smiling Cuban in a deep green uniform at the wheel. Patch Kincaid, meet Felipe Delgado. Hello, son of a bitch. You know me? Asked Patch, and they all laughed. Listen, Patch, said Playden, shaking his hand. Tomorrow you and I will meet with the Director of Operations, Chester Danolf. He's flying down from Washington. You aren't driving back with us? Not right now. I have to check some logistical things here on the Strip the pending military operation. He extended his hand again. You got me believing your story. Good. Playden nodded and started back along the runway. He wrote something into a blue spiral notebook and then tucked it back in his coat. Patch climbed into the passenger side. Never been to Guatemala. Felipe shifted and laughed. Guatemala? They told me we were in Australia. Ha <laughs> ha Exhaust leaked into the warm, humid air as they traveled inland on a narrow road through a dense thicket. Military trucks and troops wearing green baseball caps appeared in the clearing where the road ended. Two United States servicemen in undershirts were demonstrating the proper use of ordnance in the encampment ahead. The jeep bounced over the grassy field, bordering the olive army-issued tents and military equipment. 
Felipe Slow to an adjacent long building with a corrugated roof. You are going to talk today, senor. I am. Felipe stepped from the jeep. A black forty-five pistol protruded from his tan leather holster and bullet cartridges crossed his chest. He pointed to a long structure to his right. More buildings squared off in the clearing ahead. The camp is ready, Patch. Look, headquarters, even a classroom. You want to pray for a victory? You go to the chapel and back. A more fortified structure behind him, possibly an armament storage, bordered what Felipe called La Prison. They walked along the stacked up buildings. A single building with supper aromas made him hungry. They headed behind the kitchen toward a huge olive tent with mosquito netting around the perimeter. You must have been brought here, son of a bitch, to see what men have to do when they are thrown out of their homeland. I have been ordered by the brigade commander to find out what you know. That is why I say you are going to talk today. What do you want to know? asked Patch. The truth! He motioned with his hand around the clearing. I want you to appreciate people who have lost their country, compadre. What if I don't have answers, Felipe Delgado? Felipe ripped the gun from his holster. Then you will see what reality is really like, senor. He pointed the gun at Patch's head. Patch felt the barrel push through his hair onto his skull. You can kill me, but you won't get any new information. And I don't think you realize, compadre. I am not going to kill you. I am going to blow your head off. <laughs> Patch felt the continued pressure of the gun barrel against his temple. With a large grin on his face, Felipe glanced to his unsmiling friends gathered outside the tent. Felipe, this is a more complicated problem than you think. I need to know people who have a connection inside Cuba. This is a very simple problem, compadre. He looked at his men. Get out of here, man! They scattered like frightened chickens in a barnyard. Felipe turned back to Patch. These people, they listen too much. I have a hundreds of contacts, compadre. El Leopardo wouldn't approve, would he, Felipe? Felipe tilted his head. Carlos Sanchez? Yes, Carlos Sanchez. Santa Mierda. Why the hell would you be looking for Carlos, man? Do you know what they're going to do to you when they find this out, Patch? Well, don't tell them. I know he's a traitor, Felipe. He's a traitor to your cause and a friend to Castro. He plays both sides. Felipe tightened his eyes and rubbed his hand over his mouth. You know where he is right now? Thought maybe you'd want to tell me. You know that, compadre. Come with me. He motioned Patch outside. They exited the tent and walked through the busy compound. Felipe said nothing till they reached the outskirts of the camp. More supplies and stacked wood boxes lined the buildings. Felipe moved over to the latrine behind the building, unzipped his pants and peed onto the dirt. Patch quickly did the same. Listen, I will call Choden and tell him you are looking for Carlos. This is not good. Fucking Ashcam will end up down here himself. They will have people down from D.C., man. Fletcher Knight wants Zapata to go smoothly. I will call him personally. We don't need people from D.C. down here. He sipped up his fly. Who are you, Patch? Are you working for the Soviets? No, he answered, still peeing. <laughs> you are a fucking camel. Patch pulled up his zipper. They started back to the tent. If you are working for the Reds, this thing is too important to us. You've got people here, Patch, that have been exiled and think Castro is a bastard. If they cannot gain a victory, they will go back to the Escambray, hide in the mountains, and then go after Castro. 
like he went after Batista. Then we've got the U.S. government and their interests. We've got Traficante, Marcelo, and the rest of their crowd drooling to get back into Cuba. I used to work the casinos, man. Ran the nightclub in the casino. I wore a white tux to work every night. You never know that now, would you, compadre? Who exactly is Traficante? A smile covered Felipe's round face and he laughed deeply. You are a sly. Who is Traficante? That is not the question of the hour, my friend. They are going to want to know that too, exactly why you are looking for Carlos, how you know him and who you are. That has saved your ass so far. Traficante got everything when his padre died, maybe eight or nine years ago. Felipe escorted into a jeep so new that Patch smelled the fresh green paint. The Cubans shifted the gears quickly and accelerated like a stock car driver around the camp. As Felipe spun the wide tires through the dirt, Patch studied the prodigious amount of equipment and camouflage-covered supplies off to the side. While he did see many American advisors here, the place housed mostly Cubans. Felipe spoke as if he had personally constructed every building, unloaded every supply box, and trained the men. He said he headed an elite division, that he would be in the first assault on the Cuban beaches. Felipe slowed the jeep. In the chess game, Patch wanted to contemplate their next move. Carlos Sanchez remained elusive, and killing him remained his only option. The jeep spun up the dirt on a mountain road. They were near the edge of a deep valley, and Patch wondered if Felipe planned to shoot him. Felipe steered the jeep onto a level area with crushed stones. Then he parked next to a cinder block shack overlooking the camp below. To the rear, a silver tripod antenna hovered above the bush. Follow me said Felipe, and he jogged toward the shack. Several armed Cuban guards let them inside, and Felipe commandeered the shortwave radio on the bench under the cinder blocks. Okay, everybody out of here. He pointed at Patch. The room immediately emptied and the metal door closed. Felipe flipped two switches and held the microphone. X5, X5. X5, acknowledge. X5, TM slash... A-P-L-E-T. Yeah, Applet, connect. Felipe nodded to Patch and waited with the microphone in hand. The scratchy voice sounded distant. X5, this is PM Applet. The cargo. The is Carlos Sanchez. Understood. We play 1600 hours. Check. Are you with BC? 3-4. Yes. Keep secure. PM Applet out. Felipe set the microphone down. We will check back again tonight. Will they kill Carlos Sanchez? No. They will locate the bastard. You have no idea, my friend. Or maybe you do. If he has been dropped into the mountains where no one else would go. Setting up sabotage. Yet, he is so clever, no one trusts him. Everyone is fucking scared of him. Is he working for Fidel or is he working for the exiles? Nobody knows. And you, compadre, are looking for Carlos. How do you know Carlos? Not important. Huh, not important. He pulled back this 45 and aimed it in Patch's gut. I assure you, it is very important. Okay, Felipe, I'm from the future. How's that? Carlos put nuclear bombs in American cities. I came back to change things by killing Carlos. Felipe kept the 45 trained on Patch's belly as he opened the door for the soldiers. You are so funny. The brigade commander will like that. Being funny is not going to cut it, my friend. 
They want fucking answers. Felipe displayed the gun again, but Patch had no answers. He had to think quickly and speak convincingly because Felipe could easily kill him and leave his body in the swamp. I don't remember any invasion. What? This thing has been underway for a long time, compadre. Planned since Eisenhower and Nixon. Kennedy returned from a Texas trip in 1963 and he met with Castro in New York. <laughs> what, are you insane? Patch tried to reassure him. You'll have to wait till then, Felipe. You will take back Cuba. I am here to shadow this operation. My orders come from above. You are a fucking liar. They checked you out and they can't even prove you exist. Willis told me that. So don't give me the line about how you're watching us. Nobody knows who the hell you are. They're all scared of you. Let them be scared, said Patch. Can you help me find Carlos? Felipe shook his head. You don't understand, Patch. You don't understand how this all works. Make sure they get Carlos Sanchez. Only fate will dictate if Carlos Sanchez will die. Day 6. Grutalo, Guatemala. March 24, 1961. 9.55 p.m. Patch pushed his nose against the mosquito netting. Three soldiers stood with rifles positioned against their hips. He recognized the old M1 Garand 30-06. Four hours had passed since his discussion with Felipe and the mention of Carlos. Patch had gambled on Carlos being in camp. Now they were going to want answers. He heard a jeep round the corner, and Felipe leaped out like a kid leaving his hot rod running at a school dance. The soldiers lifted their rifles straight up. Felipe pushed by them and entered the tent. In the dim light, he spoke softly. We are among cutthroats, Patch, and the word is out you are looking for Carlos. Is that the latest news bulletin? You are funny, compadre, like I get bulletins. He lit a tipperillo and paced in front of Patch. You are a celebrity, compadre. They are scared of you because you have no background. The ghost has them on the run. I admire you, man. You have them. They have questioned you and questioned you and have found nothing about you. And now you have mentioned you are after Carlos. Carlos must die, Felipe. Felipe's smile fell and his face froze. Gil? Why? He's loyal to Castro. See, I know. And now you have them all nervous about the invasion, man. Let me give you some advice. Tell these men everything they want to know. That is not a threat, senor. You need to tell them because you could be messing up everything they've worked for here. One man fucking everything up. What a distinction. Do you know where Carlos is? No. Fletcher Knight has no information on Carlos. Yet Knight is a natural barrier. He only allows what he wants Ashcombe to hear. Tomorrow morning a contingent of men will arrive in camp. They will find out who you are, believe me. Who is they? I have said too much. I will be silent. You will find out soon enough. Just find out where Carlos is. Ah, said Felipe as he pushed back the netting and left the tent. The guard stepped back in front. Felipe jumped into the jeep. Patch returned to the camp stool as the jeep quickly faded. Having more intelligence officers question him put him in jeopardy. He believed he had already impacted history. Getting involved in these invasion plans or changing the timing of the invasion would surely alter history. 
He had organized crime, and now the exiles recruited into killing Carlos. Killing Carlos and killing him quickly would destroy the terrorist's future, saving millions. Retrograde loomed, and this invasion indicated a new timeline. Felipe must have been responsible for the seven armed guards outside the tent, as well as the little guy with an M16 and a machete inside the tent. Patch's pursuit of Carlos had been widely circulated through the exile community and beyond, and his prior knowledge of Higgins's defection rattled the big boys in Washington. With no background and no identity, they must have assumed he had more extensive knowledge. The Soviets lurked and he feared for his own life. If he did survive, intelligence operatives would waste no time getting what they wanted. The constant strain of worrying about Kate and the possibility of high-level intelligence people descending upon the camp left him staring at the faint, crisscrossed outline of mosquito netting. Occasionally the stars would blink into the dark skies all the way back to the silhouetted mountains. With radiational cooling, he returned to the cot and pulled the woolly army-issued blanket to his chin. Then he turned over and closed his eyes again. His offering up Carlos's name may have placed him at risk. Chapter 22 Day 6, Vitalio, Guatemala, March 25th, 1961, 5.35 a.m. Sunlight cut into the tent as Patch began the day with a nagging headache. He sat up and rubbed his eyes. Troops trained across the huge clearing, and the trucks and jeeps crisscrossed the camp. Transports and smaller planes arrived and departed even at this early hour. He lifted the oval canteen to his lips and took a cool sip of water. As he screwed the canteen cap, a jeep, paint-faded and chipped, pulled up to the tent. Three Cubans stepped from the open jeep and entered the tent. Get inside the jeep. They pulled Patch through the opening and deposited him in the rear seat. The driver zigzagged between the tents and then across the field at high speed. Can I get something to eat? shouted Patch, but no one responded. I just want something in my belly. More soldiers stood in front of a large tent pitched next to the woods. The jeep stopped abruptly on the grass. The soldier in back nudged him out with a rifle butt. Several American Marines stood at attention under the tent's tarp canopy. I'm not going to be fed. At least can I use the latrine? Bring him around back, said the lanky Marine nearest the flap. Escorted around the tent by two Marines, Patch noticed several men conferring at a central table across from a canvas army cot. He unzipped his fly and relieved himself in the bushes as he thought about trying to escape. But the Marines would not allow him to get too far. He zipped up his fly and they brought him back inside the tent. The men at the table turned as he entered the tent. His heart pounded as the humid air hung against his sweaty face. These people were not about to tolerate evasive answers. A civilian, an older man with glasses and white hair who resembled Harry Truman, removed his charcoal gray sport coat and approached Patch. They called him Dr. Braun or Sidney, an Ivy League-looking man named Daniel, perhaps in his late 40s or early 50s, dressed in an open sport shirt and pleated pants folded his arms near the table. Harry Truman set a black bag on the table. His icy eyes locked on Patch. I'm here to give you an injection. We need to know who you are. You won't learn anything with a new shot, doctor. He gazed at Danov. And who the hell are you? Captain, we will ask the questions. 
Ron opened his medical bag. He still looked like Harry Truman. Sodium amytal is very effective, young man. He uncapped a needle, sloshed a clear liquid inside a glass vial, and slowly retracted the contents into the needle chamber. He dabbed a cool alcohol gauze bandage across Patch's arm and pierced his skin as he very slowly emptied the glass chamber. Patch did not remember when he removed the needle. After a few minutes, he experienced a slight grogginess and a deepening relaxation. The man they called Dano soon appeared near the table, briefly putting his hand on Patch's shoulder as he passed. Bill Playden and a light-haired guy with black-rimmed glasses followed Dano. The man with black-rimmed glasses spun around in a chair in front of Patch. I'm Clay Nabeck, Captain Kincaid. Clay Nabeck was the head of East Coast Security in 1986 and murdered by Carlos and his gang. Guys are screwing with my head. Tell us, Captain, and all will be right with the world. He adjusted his glasses. How do you feel, Captain? Sleepy. Real loose. Is that what you want me to say? Nabak smiled and then glared at Patch. I'm your friend, just like Ray Mankiewicz is your friend. He observed a reel-to-reel tape recorder, reel spinning on the adjacent table. A microphone hung from a wire between the tent's ridge poles. Danold sat in a chair next to the table, crossed his legs, and leaned forward. He even sounded like an Ivy Leaguer. Is there anything you can tell us, Captain? And then we can get you some food. I'd really like to serve you the steak and potatoes we have here. I'm freaking starved. A short, dark-haired man with a serious face emerged out of nowhere. He held a wide-edged knife that came into focus as he planted it at Patch's throat. I don't hide my name, Kincaid. I'm Ed Hamilton. Patch exhaled. Okay? Mean nothing to me. I could slice your throat and toss your corpse into the Rio Orc. The Rio Orc? The river, Kincaid. You get the truth. Tell me. Tell me how you know Marita Lorenz. I don't know her. Hamilton looked befuddled. Then he turned to Daniel. What the fuck? Just ask the questions, Ed. Okay. I want to know why Shell, Esso, and Texaco had to refine your oil. My oil? Russian oil. Patch shook his head. Not my oil. In June of last year, you nationalized the sugar industry. You just took ownership away. Then the banks in September. What gives you communists the right to do that? You wiped out the Tropicana Casino, for Christ's sakes. You and your ilk, Kincaid. Look, you little weasel, he said, and he cut Patch's forearm with a knife. Patch stood quickly to hit him, but fell onto the ground. He pulled himself up by gripping the table. He panned the tent, but did not see Hamilton. Danald stood and moved closer to Patch. Sit down, friend. Tell me about Robert Webster. You met him in the Soviet Union, didn't you, Kincaid? I do not know Robert Webster. Did you ever meet Lee Oswald while you were in Russia? I was not in Russia. I I don't know any Oswald. Why did you two come down in 1960, Mr. Kincaid? The Russians brought it down, said Patch, his eyelids heavy. How did they do that, Kincaid? They got information, correct? I have no idea. Daniel's eyes opened wide as he grinced at Harry Truman. Flying like before, it should integrate into his system. Clayton squatted next to Daniel. 
Hatch, come on, tell us about Cuba. Cuba, Castro will make peace with Kennedy. Make peace? Shouted Dan all. This is outrageous. What kind of goddamn traitor have we got here? Why would you say Kennedy will make peace with Castro, Patch? Asked Playden. Castro's our enemy. He's a communist. History. 1963, December. Castro met with Kennedy at the UN building in New York City. Playden half grinned and looked at Danald. He spun around and held Patch's shoulders. Now, you're really not telling us the truth, are you, Patch? That's what happened, Mr. Playden. The man with the dark rimmed glasses materialized. What is this code name, Kincaid? You told Felipe Delgado to kill Carlos Sanchez. Sanchez has worked for Castro, and he also seems to work against Castro. Which is it? I don't know. Nabak stood. What's his code name? What's his nickname? This man is a dangle, said the Ivy Leaguer. They want information, for Christ's sakes. How do you know Sanchez? Questioned Playden. The future. Yes, the future. You were in 1992, right? Asked Nabak. No. No. 1986. 1986. It's gone. Gone. He seemed perplexed. What's gone? Tell us what's gone. Told you. Told you. I don't have time. No time. Maybe days. Retrograde. Retrograde. Ask Ray. Retrograde is a theory, isn't it, Patch? Asked Danall. You stole papers from Mankiewicz at Barton College and came up with this story, didn't you? No. No. Retrograde from Sector 13. Chet, do you have anything called Sector 13? Do we have anything called Sector 13? No, nothing like that. He answered and turned left. Nabak's head slowly rotated toward Patch. Have you ever heard of Sector 13? Not while I was in Berlin, but I'll check that out. I doubt anyone's ever heard of it. You're working with a scientist named Alexander Moon and the Communist, aren't you, Patch? Ray said Moon left the project. And Moon called you, didn't he, Patch? No. What was Sector 13? Asked the Ivy Leaguer. Where we had the chamber. The embarking chamber to step through time. Nabak's head slowly rotated toward Patch. He's telling us the truth as he knows it. Kill Carlos now, said Patch, his eyes heavy. Kill Carlos now. Higgins has gone to the communists. Who told you? Who told you? Who told you that Higgins was going to defect, Patch? Mankiewicz. Danald shook his head. Who gave you this legend, Patch? Legend? Someone put this in your head. Gave you a story. Someone in the agency, Patch. Who was it? I came back. I landed in from one. You don't understand. Stop Carlos now, before the future comes. I have a responsibility to those people who will die. Who? What people? People killed in the blast. Bright cloud over New York. Everything sucked up in the city. God. They did nothing. Nothing. Carlos killed them. He, he and Higgins. The plutonium. Help me change this. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Are you saying Carlos and Higgins have access to plutonium? They will. And it will be brought into all major American cities and bombs built. This is preposterous. Poor people. It's all right, Pat. It's all right. He's telling us the fucking truth. 
time travel and the so-called retrograde hypothesis are just theories. What does Mankiewicz say? He believes Kincaid, but he can't explain it. I am not persuaded by theories, only by facts. The fact concerning me is Patch's prior knowledge of Higgins' defection. Kate is in Miami. I have a radio right over there. You listen very carefully. You will tell me the truth now. Kate knows nothing, nothing. Don't toy with us, Kid Kate. Fernando, bring them women to the radio. Catch, I'm in Miami. I have a gun in my head. It's all over, brother. The truth, Kid Kate. Forget your KGB instructions. Forget what they told you. Who sent you? Mankiewicz sent me. Listen to me, asshole. I'm coming back for five. You hear me, Mort? Kate will die, Catch. You want to be responsible for Kate's death? Oh no, please, please, I have no more answers. Five, four, three, sector 13. Kate went into the chamber. Two, tell me the truth, Kincaid, or she's dead. I have told you. Kill her, Mark. She's dead, man. No, no. You did it, Kincaid. You killed her. You wouldn't tell us the truth. Tell us who you work for. Katie. Katie. I'm so sorry, Katie. My God, how can you live with yourself, Patch? Why would you sacrifice her like this? Who made you do this? Retrograde. Time is running out. Maybe a week left. Please help me. Help me find him. Kill Carlos. Kill. Kill Carlos. Carlos is an important man. Carlos is going to kill Castro. Or do you want Castro to rule Cuba? I don't care. Care? Say, Kate, oh, Kate. You were paid by Soviet agents, Patch. Who are they? Asked someone. Eric Bornheim. Eric Bornheim? Where did you meet him? Sector 13. They broke down the door. Harrington couldn't stop them with the army guys. No one left to defend the complex. He and Carlos made it inside. Guns, guns. I escaped. I went back. You know Johnny Rosselli, don't you, Patch? Was it Rosselli? A traffic contact. Rosselli double-crossed them, didn't he, Patch? We have things at stake here, Patch. I'm talking about countries. Is Carlos Sanchez working for the communists? Both. How do you know this? Mankiewicz told me. Carlos was in prison. Carlos was in prison for 11 years when we found out. Getting nowhere, Dorian. Just kill him and be done with him. No. Patch. Patch, you have a choice. You can tell us the truth and you can spend the next few weeks or longer in the brig here in camp. Doesn't matter now. You murdered Kate, you son of a bitch. Get him out of here. Chapter 23. A6. Nergatalo, Guatemala. March 28, 1961. 10.16 a.m. The rain drummed against the cold room's aluminum roof. Water seeped through the wallboards, and additional rain occasionally dripped through the roof seams onto the wood floor. Patch stroked his beard. He wondered how much time had passed since the drug had left his body. They fed him twice a day on a metal plate filled with garbage scraps from the mess hall. The water smelled foul. Twice a day, the guard brought him outside to use the latrine. He repeatedly imagined Golden Gate Park in San Francisco 25 years from now. Kate's yellow spreading dress cut perfectly in the sunlight and her hair pulled up and neatly dangling along her smooth neck. 
the searing heat cloud over New York City and the pug-nosed face of Carlos Sanchez supplanted the clear images from the park. He heard the door jingle. Maybe they were going to drug him again. Then he thought he heard Mankiewicz's voice. Patch. Patch squinted from the corner of the room. Ray. Mankiewicz studied his still bruised face and held up his arm. Damn. There was no need for this crap, Patch. Listen up. I had to clear this trip. Fletcher Knight. And I'm supposed to report back to him. What's wrong with these bastards? It's not them, Patch. It's the whole Cuban thing. It's got them all baffled, all the way from Kennedy on down. Is that why Katie's dead? Because they're baffled? I'm real sorry about Kate. Then they really killed her. That's what they told me. Silence followed and Minkowitz sat on the floor next to Patch. The rain pounded on the roof. Patch, they are flying Colonel Kincaid in from Japan. Not gonna happen. Why not? Because you wouldn't know about the Korbinski self-consistency principle. Korbinski claims that if an event exists in time, it would give rise to a paradox, and then the probability of that event happening is zero. My father meeting me is a paradox. It won't happen. Well, you don't know that. That's just a theory. And I'm not sure that what you're saying is totally true. I would have to see the map. Who the hell cares, Ray? They're in control. They can ruin your life. For at least a minute, he closed his eyes and listened to the rain tap dance on the aluminum roof. Then Minkowitz held his wrist. Listen up, Patch. I believe your story, especially because you never change it. Even with bronze injection. What worries me is retrograde. The sword of Damocles. I'm just afraid this whole thing will have been fruitless. I won't have changed anything. I'll be zapped back to Sector 13. Carlos and Bonheim will be out to get me, and I won't have stopped the bombs. Minkowitz leaned his head against the boards. They don't believe you, but at the same time, I think you've got them running scared because they haven't broken you. It's nothing to break. I know that, and you know that. It's just that they don't know what to do with you. Two things have them baffled. One is how you knew about Higgins and your connection to Carlos. Only know about them in the future, Ray. Some circles, Carlos is a hero with the exiles. I'm told from a reliable source that this is true. Then you must have double-crossed them, Ray. Now, because Spence and Bob Dietrich haven't heard from him, they want to know why you think that Carlos is a traitor. Because they think the same thing, but can't prove it. Dietrich has his plate full. You may fly down here, Patch. This Carlos thing is damn serious. Especially if he's playing both sides. 1986 is damn serious, Ray. Carlos is the one who needs to be killed. Mankiewicz pinched the bridge of his nose as thunder boomed in the distance. Then he looked up. Do you remember the history? Did Carlos try and kill Castro, or have you changed something? Patch stumbled to his feet. He looked out the window as the rain splattered against the mud. Smoke wandered upward to the low-hanging clouds. Ray, Carlos didn't kill Castro. Castro and Kennedy established diplomatic relations after their meetings. I don't want to change anything else. I believe this invasion thing was called off because Kennedy didn't think it would work. What have I done, Ray? I've changed the flow of time. I'm telling you, this invasion never happened. All the Joint Chiefs of Staff have revised their invasion plan. 
This thing was supposed to take place on the 10th of March before the Russian supply ships arrived in Cuba on the 15th. Even the original landing site has been changed. Oh God, no. A Trinidad plan provided a way to destroy Castro's Air Force and would have provided a secure beachhead. A lot of anti-Castro people are in Trinidad. With the Matre River swamp and the poor terrain of the Escambray Mountains, that's perfect to keep Castro and his goons out, so Castro would be confined to a pinpoint area. They'd bomb his tanks and trucks in one strike, and the B-26s would land in Trinidad. Now the whole thing is canceled, and the Russians have delivered tanks and artillery. I don't remember any invasion. Kennedy wanted peace. Apparently they've convinced Kennedy there'll be real support against Castro. For Patch, there's more. What? I fear you have changed something. Why do you say that? Possibly from the Soviet Union. That's going to help all that guerrilla activity. I'm not sure, but I think it made it all the way up to the president. Enough to prompt this invasion. Mankiewicz stared outside into the jungle. As the Russians are shipping munitions to Cuba, Patch pinched the bridge of his nose. Ash, Kim, and the others want Cuba back. Even if I've changed history and this invasion takes place, I still have to kill Carlos. The administration does not want this invasion as an international tool. Patch turned from the window. I don't care what they think. How do I find Carlos? The whole thing is classified, Patch, said Mankiewicz as he rubbed his hand over his mouth and thought. Our operatives are on the ground in Cuba and they put out the word. The information I received stated that Carlos is supposed to be in the area of the brigade landing in order to kill Castro. Remember, Carlos plays both sides. Powers to be changed the landing location, but Carlos knew about it. He wants to defect, or so he says. Let me tell you, too many people are upset about this new location. It doesn't block Castro's forces like the terrain did in the old location. I have a bad feeling about this whole thing. Too many damn people involved. I don't care about this or any invasion raid. I need to kill Carlos Sanchez, period. Patch closed his eyes and put his head in his hands as he spoke. I just should have found Carlos when I arrived. Mankiewicz continued his pacing and ended up at the window. Just going after Carlos when you arrived might not have worked either. I'm coming to believe that it doesn't take much to screw up the timeline. This Korbinski thing may work mathematically, but there's too much we don't know about changing time. Tell me about it. I'm afraid to use the latrine because I might pee away the future. Mankiewicz produced a quirky grin. My name's Captain Patch Kincaid and I pissed away the future. Yep. I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to frighten you, Patch, but... He faced the table and spoke in a lower voice. I'm afraid someone out there is going to give the order and then you'll be dead. I just don't know. Do you really believe me, Ray? Mankiewicz stared at him. Yeah. In the future, I must have told you about that letter from my mother-in-law when I was going with my wife. There's no way, no way anyone could have known about that unless I told you. That's the only way. What else? There is something else. Oh, damn it. What? Colonel Kincaid is being brought over here and so is his son. You could disappear from the future. One false move. It'll never happen, I tell you. As part of this chess game, Mankiewicz gazed out the window again. Both men remained silent as the jeeps and trucks moved through the muddy compound. Mankiewicz put his hands in his chino pockets and face patch. Word gets out that you've gone after Carlos, you've had it. 
there are people in this camp who think he's a patriot for going after Castro. They don't know what you know, and they would kill you without batting an eye. I understand that. Time, my future friend, is running out. SpaceX, Gritalo, Guatemala, April 1st, 1961, 9.35 p.m. A bald-headed man with glasses and gray hair on the sides sat with another gray-haired man, well-groomed in a beige windbreaker at a worn mess hall table. The bald-headed guy wore military fatigues. They both stood when two of the military guards shoved Patch inside. Someone placed a pewter plate filled with eggs and bacon on the table next to a cup of coffee. Perhaps it's time you had something to eat, Captain, said the well-groomed guy. Patch looked over his shoulder for the guards. Then he edged his way forward. He said nothing and sat on the bench. As both men scrutinized his every movement, he scooped up the eggs with his hand. Then he attacked the toast. He dipped the hot coffee, too, quickly, spilling the coffee on his fatigues. Captain Kincaid, we want to speak with you about your story. Patch finished the toast as he chewed. The story won't change, gentlemen. The guy with the glasses spoke up next. We are both involved in the Cuban situation. My name is Manuel Antonio. This is Tokaris. Craig was born in Cuba and is a strong anti-communist. Have held positions of power in Cuba. Well, he's fighting with Castro in 53 against Batista, said Sakaris. I stayed with him, but in 59 it was clear he was a communist. My friend Ed Hamilton tells me you are a stubborn man. I may appear to be stubborn, Mr. Sakaris, just because my story is true. Look, Kincaid, I have a hundred men in this goddamn camp who want to see you strung up. They convinced you're working with Fidel. Why? That's stupid. No, it's not stupid. Did Carlos send you? Is that it? No. He sipped on the coffee as the food settled. So they want to kill me. Can you blame these men? Asked Sakaris. They're about to risk their lives, and you come in here and make them fools. Then Patch looked into Sakaris's dark eyes. You retract your damn time travel bullshit, or I'll give the word. Patch stood and placed both hands on the table. One of the soldiers pointed his M1 through the doorway. You go give the damn word. I don't need you to tell me to change anything. I don't need you to tell me to change something I damn well know is true. Then Patch looked into Sakaris's dark eyes. You are a fool, Kincaid. I'm going up to the mountain so we can call the United States. I will give the word. Sakaris walked around the table and up to Patch. These men are killers. You're on your own, Captain. Both men exited the mess hall. Patch shook his head and sat down on the bench. Helicopter blades whooshed and became louder outside in the night as the chopper landed. Then he clenched his fists on the table. He sat in the humid nighttime air. The short wave broadcast with Kate might have been fake. They had to drive up to the mountain to use the short wave to contact the United States mainland. Captain, he turned slowly, still wondering about Kate. One of the soldiers stepped inside. We need to bring you back to your tent, Captain. Basex, Gritalo, Guatemala, April 2nd, 1961, 2.46 a.m. Patch, need to get to a private plane on the runway. Ray, can't it wait till morning? asked Patch. It's the brigade. The troops have had it with your time travel story. 
What? They convinced you're working for the Russians. I just got a call to get you the hell out of here. Now let's go. Hatch sat up. Then he jumped to his feet and grabbed his shirt and pants. Apparently they've got the troops more stirred up than they already were. Hatch buttoned his pants and thrust his arms into his shirt as they ran outside. Where's the jeep? Going on foot. A lot smarter that way. He crossed between barracks and directly behind the camp toward the chapel to the north. Near headquarters, three soldiers blocked the road with extended rifles. Where to? Well, bushwhack and throw onto the side runway. They leaped through the dense vines and small bushes toward the edge of the runway only a few hundred yards ahead. There's no one other than the pilot of that plane that I trust in this camp. Who's the pilot? asked Patch as he brushed off his pants. Pilot's name is Harold Easterly. Dietrich told me he works for Carlos Marcello in New Orleans. He brought Sicaris and Antonio into camp from Florida. They stepped onto the grit and traced the grass along the runway. Why would he help us? Dietrich is paying him 4000 bucks to fly us to New Orleans. His cover will be that we forced him by gunpoint. Mankiewicz pointed to a tiny plane under a pole light near the shack. There it is. You know this guy? Dietrich says he can get us out of here. Patch nodded and they both broke into a run down the dirt. The propellers on the small plane began to spin. Mankiewicz reached the plane first and the pilot pushed open the door. The man had a white baseball cap and dark eyebrows. Patch climbed into the front seat as Mankiewicz stationed himself in back. Harold Easterly, said the pilot. He immediately turned the plane and started back along the shed. The engines were louder now. We need to get the fuck out of here now. We've got their collective asses out of bed. Korbinski, Ray. Easterly wince. Who's Korbinski? Is there a Russian commie in this mix? Forget about that, said Mankiewicz. How long will it take to get to New Orleans? Depends. Easterly pointed back to the camp. Security lights blazed and the sporadic gunfire echoed in the distance. Hold on, boys! Patch looked over his shoulder as more lights popped on. Easterly reached over and opened the compartment. He threw a 45 pistol to Patch and a second pistol to Mankiewicz. Two jeeps raced out of camp and onto the runway. A single bullet pinged the side of the plane. Shoot the fucking thing. Held Easterly as they gained speed. He opened the side window and fired his own pistol back toward the jeep. Patch leaned out the window as the night air whipped his hair back. Mankiewicz held his own pistol and back. Patch aimed at the first jeep and pumped the trigger, but they still advanced. More rifle shots were overshadowed by machine gun fire. Somehow easily lifted the plane up at a steep angle and off the runway, but they were on a course toward the Silhouette Mountains. The intense gunfire and mortar rounds exploded on the ground below. Yet easterly flew into the night, and then the camp light slowly became smaller as he veered away. You one hell of a pilot, Harold. That may be true, Captain. Let's hope they didn't hit the fuselage. Minkowitz leaned forward and checked the control gauges. You won't know that till we get over the ocean. Ah, don't worry. I have one motto. What's that? asked Patch, realizing they were free of camp. He leveled the plane. This one is my main motto. I can land anywhere. Chapter 24. The Town and Country Motel. New Orleans, Louisiana. April 2nd, 1961. 10-11 a.m.
Mankiewicz, smoking a Cuban cigar, stood with Patch under the town and country motel's canopy. The cars and trucks approached, repeating the Doppler effect as the sound faded down the highway out front. Inside the lobby, an animated easterly chatted with the counter clerk. He had flown them all night from Guatemala and landed the plane at a private airfield not too far from the motel. How do I find Carlos Sanchez? Mankiewicz puffed on the cigar. I was briefed on what this was all about. Dietrich told me they all fear what you said about Carlos going after La Cosa Nostra leaders is about to happen. I'm more concerned about killing him. So are the targets. The mob? asked Patch as the door opened behind the counter clerk. A diminutive man with trim gray hair and a dark suit and tie moved around the counter and escorted Easterly to the side table. Speaking of which, I do believe that gentleman is Carlos Marcello, a very, very powerful man. The Kennedys do not like Marcello. Easterly leaned toward Marcello as both men engaged in a protracted conversation. I could use some chow. Listen up, Patch. Marcello's in big trouble with the Justice Department. Hell, he's been under pressure ever since the McClellan Committee in the 50s. As Dietrich would say, Big Kennedy and Little Kennedy worked on that committee. Patch folded his arms and leaned against a 1961 aquacolored Chevy convertible with a white top. Yet, Carlos Marcello is alive and well, Ray. Must have a good lawyer. Frank Regano, wearing his gray suit at the Flamingo Lounge, came into Patch's thoughts. They have top-notch legal teams. I don't know why we deal with these people anyway. I don't trust any of them. They could turn on you, my friend, in a second. We're dealing with Marcello to get Castro. At the same time, the Justice Department is going after him? That's just plain stupid. Minkowitz spoke with the cigar between his incisors. My point exactly. The lobby door opened, and Easterly, a piece of toast in his hand, emerged under the canopy. Gentlemen, Mr. Marcello is aware and appreciative that you have fingered Carlos Sanchez. Mr. Marcello remembers his friends. So what happens to us? asked Mankiewicz. You'll be picked up shortly by Guy Bannister. Don't piss him off. Guy will bring you downtown for the next leg of your journey. And where is that? Don't have that information. Mankiewicz removed his cigar. Who is sending us? Easterly bit into the toast. Raymond, Raymond, Raymond. This is not to reason why. Yeah, when I joined the Light Brigade, I'll remember that, Harold. Easterly tilted his head back and laughed. Well, we'll see about that. Harold, thanks for getting us out of camp, said Patch. My pleasure, boys, he said, finishing the toast. Then he removed a crisp yellow card with the banner Investigations on top. He handed the card to Mankiewicz and bolted from the canopy to the parking lot. You guys take care now. Patch studied the card. This man Bannister is a private investigator. I think he worked for the FBI, said Mankiewicz, the cigar hanging from the corner of his mouth. 434 Balter Building, New Orleans, Guy Bannister, President. Magnolia 4532, Mankiewicz looked up. I need to call Bob Dietrich. I don't like the way this is going. Too many unknowns. Patch smiled a wide smile. And he does personality analysis. Whoop-de-doo. A lot of cozy relationships, Patch.
real cozy. Driving down the side streets, New Orleans, Louisiana, April 2nd, 1961, 11.30 a.m. Guy Bannister, lingering at retirement age, had gray hair pushed straight back and possessed a self-importance as immense as his hatred of Castro. He kept telling Patch to behave himself. He drove his blue Ford easily as he navigated over the Huey P. Long Bridge and then into the city's back alleys. We're going to kill that prick so dead that Khrushchev will feel it. You have an office, it says on your card, said Mankiewicz. Yeah, I have two rooms on the first floor across from the Masonic Temple. We may move, who knows? Patch leaned against the front seat. Just where are we going, Mr. Bannister? Bannister looked in the mirror. Don't worry about it. Everybody has a bit of information, said Patch. Somebody must have put the whole puzzle together. Bannister shook his head as he turned the corner. Don't count on that either, son. The more you know, the more you don't want to know. He said nothing as he drove toward a huge body of water east of the city. Lake Pontchartrain is away from your office, guy, said Mankiewicz. Bannister removed a pearl-handled revolver and fanned it toward the back seat. You'd best shut your mouth. Black Lincoln moved slowly on the grass and stopped near some palm trees less than a hundred yards from the water. Bannister skidded onto the grass. This is the end of the line, Ray. Both of you, out of the car. What's going on? Shut up. Patch stepped outside and joined Mankiewicz on the grass. The Lincoln's driver's door opened as Bannister's blue Ford spun under the asphalt. A dark-haired man with a square-faced jaw and a penciled mustache emerged from the car. He wore a lightweight jacket, had a Cuban accent, and carried a little black 38. What's the deal? asked Mankiewicz. The deal, my friend, is you're going on vacation. He started the Lincoln and drove the car, waving the gun as he spoke along the lake. Patch sat on the outside and Mankiewicz in the middle. If you're gonna kill us, then just get it over with. <laughs> kill you? You're much too valuable to be killed. No one knows who the hell you are. As for me, well, Fidel has a price on the head of Arkham Smith. Nah, your name sounds damn familiar, said Mankiewicz. It should. Carlos Marcelo is my friend. He promised me American dollars if I give him gambling concessions once we take the country back. Right now, I'm the leader of the Cuban Reclamation Army. Patch wondered what the title inferred and why this guy didn't wear a uniform. Where are we going? Ah, your vacation. You're going to Miami with Mr. LaRue. Who? Not who, LaRue. He needs to make a delivery and you are part of that delivery. To whom? That is the information I cannot reveal. However, should either of you tell me why Carlos Sanchez is going to kill members of organized crime, Ever think that Fidel doesn't want them running their operation back in Cuba? asked Patch. <laughs> that goes without saying. Where's the traitor? Fidel? asked Patch. Akaka Smith laughed heartily enough to lower the gun for a second. Then his face hardened and he took aim again. Where is he? We don't know that. What, do you think I'm some kind of fool? I've worked for Batista in Havana. I am dedicated to killing Fidel Castro. You will gain nothing, especially in Florida, if you don't tell us where Carlos is now. I'm sure when Carlos wants to make himself known, Mr. Arkaka Smith, even you will be told.
as the high-level heavy hitters from the CIA and other intelligence agencies descend on the base in Guatemala, Patch does not shed his time travel story, frustrating all the officers. On the short wave, Patch is forced to listen to Kate's execution. Mankiewicz later finds Patch in an isolated part of the camp. Patch is now certain that his presence in 1961 has moved up the invasion of Cuba and changed time. Early one morning, after being cross-examined by anti-Castro exiles, Patch is hurried to a landing strip where he and Mankiewicz are hustled away by CIA pilot Harold Easterly. Hours later, they land in New Orleans and are brought to Carlos Marcelo's town and country motel. In Miami, all the La Casa Nostra leaders have gathered. They have risky plans for Patch Kincaid. We'll find out about those plans for Patch and Mankiewicz on next week's episode on Part 7 of the Kennedy Paradox. Now I am boarding the little plane and getting the heck out of here. Adios, amigos. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittinbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.